0: It's a delight to be here worshiping with you all uh, this morning. My name is JC Davison. I'm a licentiate in our presbytery, and I bring you greetings from your brothers and sisters at Cedar OPC in Jenison, Michigan. Also greetings from uh, my wife and one-year-old daughter who couldn't be here with us today. Uh, We care for women who are in unplanned pregnancies and have a few women living with us right now that she's uh, staying with, caring for this morning. Uh, You can turn in your copy of God's Word to Psalm 25. We read it already. We'll be looking as our text at just verses 4 and 5 this morning. Verses 4 and 5 of Psalm 25. And interestingly, Psalm 25 is uh, an acrostic, meaning different sections of the psalm correspond to different letters of the Hebrew alphabet. And so, uh, differently than some other psalms, Psalm 25 is... Uh, it has less of one main theme running through it and is more uh, collected aphorisms or thoughts, almost like the Proverbs. And so Psalm 25 is especially fitting to choose a small text from. Uh, This uh, self-contained thought here, also uh, fitting for the new year. I'll read again, God's holy word. Show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. On you I wait all the day. Amen. May the Lord help us as we look to his word together. It's January 1st. Wonderful to be here. Uh, Perhaps some of you were up late last night. And uh, no, we're going to be here worshiping in the house of the Lord this morning. And as a start of a new year, it's a time where we're often reflecting on changes we may want to make in our lives, maybe changes to our health or exercise routines, to stay in touch with family more, uh, whatever the case may be. But the thing we don't want to forget is what is of utmost importance is not uh, just our growth in health or fitness, but our growth in godliness, our growth in our relationship with the Lord. We're reminded in these verses of what we should be wanting this year, what we should be praying for hoping for, and pursuing as the people of God. The book of Psalms is so wonderfully instructive for us in the art of prayer. It teaches us to pray after times of sin, like we uh, looked in Psalm 51 today, or prayer in times of suffering, like we see in Psalm 22, prayer in joyful times, like Psalm 100. But there's also Psalms, like our text here, giving us instruction in prayer in times where we are seeking spiritual growth and direction. That's something we ought to set our minds to this year. How can I be growing spiritually? How might God be leading me in my life? How can I have more love for Christ, more hatred of sin? How can I be more diligent in my service, more faithful in prayer? Also, we seek his direction. What paths should I take? What new decisions should I make? What changes should I should I introduce to my life? I hope your heart, like mine, is hungering for just more of the Lord, to follow him more wholeheartedly. Psalm 25 uh, has been a favorite psalm of mine, and these two verses, verses 4 and 5, are ones that God strongly impressed on my heart when I was about 15 years old, and I'd gotten a new Bible that fall, and just when I was reading it, these ones leapt off the page to me, and These verses have been a prayer of mine uh, for the past couple decades, just considering a prayer for God's leading, a prayer for God's guidance and growth in our own lives. I'd commend these two verses for your memorization, but to use specifically in your prayers, but also as a pattern for us to instruct our hearts, our minds, and our wills as to what we should be wanting this year. If like me, you End times, just reflecting on your life, you sense your own listlessness, at times your own aimlessness, the weakness sometimes of your faith, the dimness of your perception of the beauties of Christ, uh, the frequency your prayers are half-hearted, the ways you feel like, maybe I didn't grow last year as much as I wanted to. Well, this is a prayer we return to, saying, Lord, show me your ways, teach me your paths, lead me in your truth and teach me for you are the god of my salvation on you i wait all the day we'll look at these petitions uh, together take a look at verse four the psalmist starts out saying show me your ways lord now we don't know who the psalmist is in this chapter we don't know the context in which it was written and so it's fitting for us to consider these statements together show me your ways O lord what are we asking When you ask someone uh, to show you their ways. Now, we use that phrase almost like an aphorism in our day. Ah, show me your ways. And and it works fairly well here, too. When you're saying um, you see someone who's doing something you would like to do, you think, man, you've got to show me your ways. And what you're actually asking in that is you're saying, show me your ways because I want to be able to experience and enjoy what you enjoy. So, perhaps you see someone who uh, swings the tennis racket admirably, and you know you're a bit of a hack with the racket. And you say, Show me your ways, because I want to just be able to swing fluidly, gracefully, hit right to that back corner like you do. Or perhaps it's swinging a golf club. Or perhaps um, you've admired someone's parenting, and you say, I want those sorts of relationships with my children when I'm older. Show me your ways. Show me how do you get to this level of joy and um, ease and fluidity or um, a respectable saint who's just lived a life and say, show me your ways because I want to experience that sort of joy that I see that you have. This is first of all, a heart request for us asking God to show us his way is a request to share in God's joy. The ways of God are the ways that lead to joy. And as we learn his ways, we're learning the ways of joy. In Proverbs 3, we read of the ways of God's wisdom. In Proverbs three thirteen, we read, Happy is the man who finds wisdom, the man who gains understanding. And in verse 17, For her ways are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. These are the ways of God, the ways of pleasantness and peace. And isn't that what we greatly desire as humans, to have a peaceful composure and poise to our lives? The pleasantness of a daily walk. And this only truly results from knowing God, knowing his ways, walking in his ways. And the problem, the reason we don't often experience this, is that we are prone to walk in our own ways, to walk by what we think is best and right, right? A uh, pastor, Steve Igo, at Cedar Church has been preaching through the book of Judges. And, <clears throat> pardon me, what is that most often repeated refrain in the book of Judges? But that each one did what was right in his own eyes. In the state of disarray and decay in Judea and Israel at that time, or as we see in our own day, what is the summary statement? Each one did what was right in his own eyes. Not doing what is right in the ways of God. Jesus speaks of these contrasting ways of life in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew seven thirteen, where he tells us to enter by the narrow gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go by it. But narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. This road, the way of man, of following after your own eyes and desires, is a 12-lane highway to destruction. It's easy to get onto. There's many on-ramps. You can go fast. Everyone else is there, but it's the way to destruction. We read in Deuteronomy 30 earlier how God sets before his people the choice of the path of life versus the path of death. And if we want to follow after the ways of God, The first step is the step of repentance from turning from saying, God, I am not going to go my own ways, follow after my own desires, but I'm going to go your way. Uh, You know, if you've ever been using a GPS and you find yourself going uh, the really wrong way, that might say something like make a U-turn total 180 turnaround. That's what repentance is. The word is turning in scripture to turn around from going after our own ways to determinedly go after the ways of God. For we know that God is the source of life. In his light, we see light. And his ways are the ways of pleasantness and peace. No other ways lead to life. And so we want to get to the source. We want to get on to the road. We want to find the source of life, the one whose ways lead to life. And we find that through Jesus Christ the door, who said to Thomas, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This is the pearl that's worth selling all to receive. It's a like for many, many years, explorers, they were after the source of the Nile. They knew there was this bounty of water somewhere in the heart of Africa, in a desolate at times land. And they searched because this thing we see leads to something greater. And they searched and searched, and eventually an, uh, an explorer came, and he found it, and they had the source of the Nile, Lake Victoria. And as we experience good things in life, it points to the fact that there's a source. There's more where it comes from, and the way, the path to the source, is through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Show me your ways is the positive prayer. And behind every positive prayer here, there is an implied prayer of confession. We need to pray, God, show me your ways, because in doing so, we're confessing, I don't adequately know your ways. I don't adequately often see them and perceive them. I'm frequently going after my own ways, following my own heart, my own desires. I am leaning on my own understanding. And so God, I turn and say, show me your ways. Show me your ways. Perhaps you feel a lack of vibrancy in your spiritual life, a lack of joy, lack of purpose. You want more. This is a call for our hearts to reach out to God saying, God, I want more of you this year. I want to know you more. I want to be closer. I want to perceive you more clearly. We must cultivate this sort of holy discontent, a holy dissatisfaction with our own ways, with just keeping the status quo of me, myself, and my own life, a holy hunger for more. We need these hearts that are desiring God to reveal himself to us more and more. But more than just a desire in our hearts, we do need a renewing in our minds, as we read in Romans 12. Our minds need to be renewed to know God's ways. And so the psalmist sings, teach me your paths. So not just show me your ways, but more specifically, teach me your paths. Because knowing God's way and sharing in God's joy is not, as we sometimes think, um, like a sort of metaphysical infusion. So perhaps you know someone Uh, a relative who maybe has to go in for iron infusions. Uh, You're low in your bloodstream, infuse some iron in. That's not how we grow in God's spirit. It's not um, infusions that just come into us, but the joy of following God's ways comes by the path of practical obedience. The way of joy in God is the way of following God's commands, and it's the path of love. Again, Deuteronomy 30, he says, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I've set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice, holding fast to him, for he is your life and length of days. I've heard it described by a theologian before that love, the way of love has three components, allegiance, action, and affection. And in offering the path of life here, Moses offers all three. He says this is to choose life, loving the Lord your God, that is having affections for him, obeying his voice, our actions of obedience, and holding fast to him, our allegiance to God, for he is your life and length of days. Again, Jesus himself makes this connection between our obedience to God and our joy in God. In John fifteen ten, he says, if you keep my commandments... You will abide in my love just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Jesus teaches obedience and abiding as the way to joy, the way of love, the way of obedience to Jesus' commands. That's what he said in the great commission that we would be teaching to observe everything he's commanded us not out of some dull burden, but for joy in God, the joy of following his path and his ways. We need to learn this path. Uh, When I was driving here today, uh, I've never been here before, so I was unfamiliar with the path, so I was using my GPS. So it's telling me to exit, to keep left at the fork, to get onto this highway, and I needed to be attuned to it, to be attentive to it, that I not veer off the path and get stuck or lost, And this is like the initial stages in the Christian life, learning the paths of God through his word, his word he's given us to instruct us. I think in the bulletin it said, uh, we read God's will for our lives, God's guidance and direction for our lives in his word. But it would be unwieldy if every single time we had to make a decision, we had to go try to uh, fumble around the pages, look around the Bible. But what we do over time as Christians Is we uh, imbibe and have learned to intuit the ways and paths of God such that we build mental maps that help us navigate quickly around life. So I I moved to West Michigan from Vancouver, Canada, for seminary uh, five years ago. And at first, I was heavily reliant on that GPS because I didn't know the paths from anywhere to anywhere. But now, having uh, gone about those routes, having studied the area after five years, I rarely need to pull it out now. I learned the paths. And this is the process of Christian maturity where the paths of God get into your habits. They become natural. You've built mental models all around the ways and will of God. Hebrews 5.14 says that solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil it does take in a, in a treacherous world where we're constantly assaulted by the world, the flesh, and the devil, we need our discernment trained by constant practice. Now, we never get to take our foot off the gas and just sit back, but we're constantly seeking to be more directed by God's word and to have the instructions and ways of God move from our mind where we have to think of it constantly into our hearts where it becomes our natural habits of life. Far better than me having to try to think, hmm, how ought I to love my wife right now is that I just naturally love her. It's the overflow of training. Knowing God's will, it's not easy. It takes practice, it takes testing, it takes wisdom. And the wisdom we're seeking in learning God's paths is navigating the difficult complexities of this world. Having God teach us his paths is having God teach us his wisdom. Um, w- one thing about wisdom that I can think can be helpful to consider is there's an interesting contrast between legalism and wisdom. Now, legalism doesn't like wisdom because legalistic ways seek a black and white answer to every situation. And instead of having to exercise Christian discernment to consider the nuances of particular situations... It's far easier to have pat answers that this preacher says to do this or this preacher says that's bad, this author says that's bad or this community says I ought to do this or that and then I can turn off my wisdom and discernment and just let others tell me the rules because then I know if I keep the rules, then I'm holy. But no, it's harder. We have to think and discern and have uh, God's word open praying for the Spirit's illumination as we navigate the complexities of individual situations, individual hearts, individual environments. We want to learn God's ways of wisdom. We need careful, nuanced thinking and our thoughtful, careful obedience to God. And again, this takes work. It takes being steeped in God's word. Uh, If you like tea, perhaps like I do, uh, Irish breakfast in the morning, peppermint in the evening, Uh, you know that you don't just put the tea bag in for five seconds and pull it out. You're not getting any of the flavor. You have to let it steep. And same for us. We don't want just a a glancing, a quick steeping in God's word. No, we need to steep, meditate, and allow God's word to infuse our hearts and minds, to fill our imaginations, to let it do its work in us, to learn God's paths. But more than just saying, God, teach me uh, your path, it's not enough to just know the path. We need the Holy Spirit to illumine the path, to guide us, to be actually the fuel in our tanks that allows us to follow the way of God. And so if we're seeking any substantial heart change, we know it must be by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, we must be much in prayer, even as we're seeking to understand God and his ways better. We're following his leading, the leading of the spirit. And so this prayer in Psalm 25 continues, lead me in your truth. Don't just show me the path, but actually take me and lead me in the truth. Because again, the way is treacherous. As we sing in that hymn, there's many dangers, toils, and snares on the path of the Christian life, aren't there? Various sufferings we face, relational challenges, challenges with our health, there's various sins we face, uh, the lust of the flesh, the lusts of the eyes, the pride of life. These things are uh, crevasses in the snow for us everywhere. Um, I, out in the West Coast, I loved hiking, and uh, one time me and some friends had a chance to hike uh, a mountain called Mount Baker in Washington. It's, a, it's an active volcano, actually, which is pretty neat. But it's covered in snow, but there's these dangerous crevasses all dotting the surface where you could fall hundreds of feet down and be stuck. And so because we wanted to climb Mount Baker, we had to get a guide. And so we hired Nick, and Nick knew the route. He roped us up behind him, and he was able to navigate those crevasses on a safe path to teach us how to to, um, hold ourselves if we were slipping on the snow. And the confidence it brought, knowing in a treacherous path that we had a capable guide Guiding us through brought so much peace and comfort. To me, also to my mom, uh, who was somewhat worried. But the Holy Spirit is the perfect guide, the perfect leader. And we need to be reliant on him. As we've looked to God's word, the Holy Spirit to lead, to apply it to our hearts and lives. Because even all the preaching we hear, it's useless without the Holy Spirit illumining it to our hearts, changing our hearts to be able to enact the obedience we desire. So we pray, lead me, in your truth. We need our wills fully set on following God, fully devoted to God. And as we seek God to lead us, we also have to put in our effort. Nick didn't pull us by a rope up the mountain. No, he walked and we walked. It's like, as Paul says in Colossians 129, when he's seeking the spiritual maturity of his people, he says, to this end, I also labor but striving according to his working, which works mightily in me. Or again in Philippians two twelve and 13, where we're told that we work out our faith knowing it's God who's working in us, both to will and to do according to his good pleasure. I love also the words in the song, O Church Arise, where it's prayed in one of the verses. So spirit come, put strength in every side, give grace for every hurdle, that we may run with strength to win the prize of a servant good and faithful. This is the psalmist's prayer. Show me your ways. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. And why does he praise this? Where is this confident prayer coming from? It's from what we read next. He says, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day. The psalmist's confidence in this prayer comes from his confidence in the fact that his God is a saving God. It's an argument here from the greater to the lesser. If you are the God of my salvation, the God who has delivered me from the perils of sin in my own heart, perhaps the perils of battles and events in his life, if God has brought salvation, how much more would God not offer his guidance? His leading, If the songwriter can trust that God is the God of his salvation, how much more will he be the God of his leading, the God of his guidance? It'd be almost as if uh, you have adoptive parents, they adopt a child, and for that child to doubt that the parents would want to train that child to teach and raise them. It's like, no, if they have already sought to adopt them, welcome them into their family, of course they want to raise them up. To teach them, to train them, to bring them into the joys and experiences of life. And so for the Christian, even we have much more confidence even than the Psalmist, because we've seen the greatest gift that God would give his son for us. As Romans eight thirty two tells us uh, the one who didn't spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? If God's already given us the greatest gift, the Lord Jesus Christ, to die for our sakes, how much more will he direct our steps, show us his ways, teach us his paths, and lead us in his truth? God is not unwilling to work in your life. God is not unwilling to see you changed and conformed to the image of Christ. That's his predestined will for you, to be conformed to the image of his Son. God delights to pour out the Holy Spirit on his people to train and guide with the gift of teaching from ministers of his word, the gift of his word, the encouragement of the saints that we might run the race and battle that's set before us. God cares for us. He guides us. He protects us. And so because this is the heart of God, this is the confidence we can have from God, how would we not then want to, as the psalmist says, to wait on him all the day. He says, you're the God of my salvation. On you I wait all the day. That is to say, all my expectation of good is from you. Uh, He's not waiting for God like you wait in a line to check out. It's waiting on God as a servant waits on a master, which is not just a passive waiting. It's an active waiting. As the servant serves, doing the duties they've been commanded, They are attentively listening for what new instructions their master may be giving. What new needs uh, might they notice and come up with? And that is akin to our waiting on God. That as we are going about in obedience to him, we live attentively to God. What might God's will be for me in this situation? His will for me today. How can I entrust myself to him in prayer and call on his help? On you I wait all the day. All my expectation is from you. That's what we want, to continually wait all the day on God, looking to him for our help, requesting his strength, requesting his illumination and guidance. Because again, as we recognize the implicit confession of our text is that God, I don't adequately know your ways. I don't consistently walk in your paths. I frequently turn aside after my own. I don't adequately walk in your truth, but I fall prey to the lies that tell me sin will feel good, the lies that tell me I should just focus on myself for a while. And so this needs to be the cry of our hearts. God, show me your ways. This needs to be the desire of our minds. God, teach me your paths. And this needs to be the resolution of our wills. God, lead me in your truth. I grew up uh, singing in childhood a song that said, Teach me your holy ways, O Lord, so I can walk in your truth. Teach me your holy ways, O Lord, and make me wholly devoted to you. It is the cry of my heart to follow you. It is the cry of my heart to be close to you. It's the cry of my heart to follow all the days of my life. Is that the cry of your heart for this year? To follow God, to be close to God, to see Christ more clearly, to obey more wholeheartedly, to pray more fervently. Will you internalize this pattern given us in this psalm? Make these words to be your own words. Coming from your own heart, to learn from this psalmist example, Lord, show me your ways in 2023. Teach me your paths in 2023. Lead me in your truth teach me. Why? Because you are the God who saves. There is salvation in none other but the Lord our God. I've already put my hope and confidence in you, and I trust you will see me through. I trust you will see me through to the end of the road, that God, you will be our God even unto death. You are my God. We are your people. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we once again see our weakness. We sense. The slowness of our hearts to be moved by the things of God. The slowness of our minds to be attuned to your ways and paths. Our aimlessness in seeking the leading of the Holy Spirit. And we ask for your help. We ask for your grace. We ask that you would be at work in our lives. That you would give us hearts after you. You would give us minds looking, meditating, on your words, praying for the Holy Spirit's leading. Lord, we want to grow. We want to be made more like Jesus, our elder brother. We want to be with him. We want to be like him. And we know you desire the same for you love your people. You desire our Christ-likeness even more than we do. And so we pray that you will change us, renew us, encourage us, give us strength for the fight, give us energy for the race of faith. Make us wholly yours for Jesus' sake. Amen. The basis of our confidence uh, is because Jesus died and rose again. These are historic realities. This isn't wishful thinking. This isn't something uh, that someone just had a